Welcome to the David Pakman Show. I am not David Pakman, and while you may think that I am an out-of-work Jim Gaffigan stunt double, I am indeed Jesse Dollimore, host of the Dollimore Daily on YouTube. This past Friday, a the, 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 the brutal beating tape of uh, Tyree Nichols was released. The brutal beating that took place at the hands of the Memphis Police Department. Uh, An elite group of police officers, the most highly trained on their staff, took part in the beating that ultimately led to his death. I'm not going to play the footage here. It it is out there. It is public. You can find it on Twitter, really anywhere. You just do a Google search and you'll find it. But I want to talk a little bit about what was released and the timing of the release on a Friday night. It seemed strange to me. And then we're going to talk about some ghoulish takes from the right, notably Fox News and Jesse Waters. First, though, if you haven't seen it, it is gruesome. And and the lack of humanity that was displayed uh, will rock you if you are not uh, careful about how much you consume of it. Uh, Disgusting. Just a, a complete disregard for the life and well-being of Tyree Nichols. It also goes because they were in the Scorpion unit, which has now apparently been disbanded, but they were members of an elite police unit, and it was like the Keystone Cops. They were pepper spraying one another. They were injuring themselves while trying to administer a brutal beating on this civilian, on this citizen, on this uncharged, not convicted, unarmed individual. It was gross, to say the least. And what you would expect from Fox News uh, didn't quite come to fruition. I was actually a little shocked at some of the more reasonable takes than you would expect. It didn't just devolve into just comply and this won't happen. Here's Jesse Waters while still sucking up to police and showing deference for police departments, no matter what the charges against them are. He still seems a little bothered by the footage. Watch this. One mother lost four children, four sons to homicide before the age of 30. And, and, the, and so yeah, this and, has to stop. And, and these officers, uh, black officers in a in a black neighborhood, they're working on a crime task force, and they had really, really made a lot of arrests from when this task force was put up and running in October, and had really cleaned up the streets. But now to watch this, this is hard to see. And I think we have another tape. Again, it's about two minutes. Viewer warning. Another body cam. This is graphic. Watch. He's almost there. He's almost there. Uh, They were working on a crime task force and they had made a lot of arrests and had to really, they had really cleaned up the streets. But to watch this is, it's hard to see, he says. But he doesn't quite get there. He doesn't quite ask the right questions of, did they affect the arrests that they affected because of the fact that they used brutality and illegal means to do so? Are they not going to question that these cops don't feel constrained by the Constitution to which they swore an oath to support and defend? 
Jesse Waters went on to have Heather McDonald on, who is uh, protect the cops at all cost, um, besmirch the, the, the prospect of diversity training within police departments, of uh, implicit bias training. And of course, they go to her, the expert, quote unquote, and this is how that devolved. And then we're going to talk about exactly how she's wrong with some facts, with some data, with some research. Let's bring in the author of War on Cops. We have Heather McDonald here. Heather, take us out big picture statistically. I mean, this is this is extremely rare. Well, absolutely. And, you know, Jesse, this looks like absolutely terrible tactics. Cops are desperate for more tactical training in de-escalation and stress control. So they're not put in an in a position that they feel they need to use uh, lethal force. And instead, they're being given implicit bias training, diversity training, complete waste of money. But the narrative that is being put on what looks to be a very horrific incident is inflammatory. It's coming from the president on down that we are living through an epidemic of racially biased uh, police killings of black men. That is completely false. President Biden just said, oh, the, the criminal justice system denies equal treatment to blacks. He should know better. Study after study coming out of Harvard, out of Michigan State University, out of the left wing Center for Policing Equity shows that there is no bias in fatal police shootings. So Jesse Waters proclaims this is extremely rare. I think we all know, any of us who are paying attention for, for any amount of time relative to the treatment of police, the, the civilians by police in the United States, especially related to the treatment of unarmed black men, is that this isn't an exceedingly rare or extremely rare, as he categorized it. It's an all too common occurrence. And McDonald saying that um, she blames diversity training and implicit bias training, that we need more use of force training. That's what we need for police. And then she makes the bold claim that there was no racial bias. There is no racial bias in police, in fatal police shootings. And this just flies in the face of what we know. I'm going to read a little bit from this Guardian article, just one paragraph here. The Guardian article entitled, if you want to read the entire thing, uh, it never stops. Killings by U.S. police reach record high in 2022. Law enforcement killed at least 1,176 people or about 100 people a, a month last year, making it the deadliest for police violence. And this is the paragraph. Black people were 24% of those killed last year, while making up over only 13% of the population. From 2013 to 2022, black residents were three times more likely to be killed by U.S. police than white people. The inequality is particularly severe in some cities, including Minneapolis, where, where police kill black residents at a rate 28 times higher than white residents, and Chicago, where the rate was 25 times higher. And that comes from mapping police violence, those statistics that I just read you. So this, this claim, this bold Fox News talking point is nothing but nonsense and lies and, and subterfuge. It is playing cute with actual crime statistics and statistics related to police brutality. P uh, mapping police violence also has this chart. 
there's a racial disparity even in who the police killed while they're running away. Not the police, the, the, the suspect. One in every three people killed by police was running away, driving away, or otherwise trying to flee. Black and brown people were more likely to be killed while fleeing. So the nonsense that Fox News will try to to perpetrate upon the American people, even in the wake of a brutal gang-style slaying of a citizen, is remarkable. Republicans are rah, rah, rah on waving their constitutions. They're rah, rah, rah about anti-establishment and the deep state and being scared of the government. But when it comes to armed agents of the state who brutally use the power they've been granted, their arrest power, the power to take the lives of citizens, it's crickets from the peanut gallery of conservative, the the hierarchy of conservative media. They protect the cops. Law and order, they say, while calling into question the integrity of government everywhere else. It doesn't make any sense. The other bizarre thing that happened this weekend or uh, when the weekend started on Friday, was the more full picture that we saw of the attack on Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband. And uh, again, not going to play the tape, the brutal attack, the hammer attack on the nearly octogenarian Paul Pelosi by David DePap. And David Papp, the day that the footage was released, made a phone call to a reporter at KTVU and wanted to say sorry. Now, I'm going to read how KTVU uh, categorized the call. And then I'm going to play the call, the segment of the call that they've, po- that they've made public. And it is remarkable that the, the, the conspiracy theories that were promoted by people like Megyn Kelly and elsewhere, that, that there was all kinds of uh, conspiracies surrounding the relationship that Paul Pelosi had with this, this guy, which didn't exist. And then when we see it, rather than have a mea culpa moment, rather than them come out and say, oh, we're really sorry, we were wrong. Of course, that's not what they do. But this, is, this, is the, this call is, is, is uh, remarkable because it leads to, again, when Republicans and conservatives use the words talking about liberty and talking about tyranny, they do so knowing that it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. They do so knowing that people like David DePap and others who, who um, exert violence in, in some attempts to overthrow the government or make a change, they know that their words don't go forth void, that there, there is an end game and some people are gonna latch on to that language, to that rhetoric and make violence happen. Here's, here's the description from KTVU. David DePap called the, T, uh, the KTVU newsroom this afternoon and told our reporter he had an important message. He said he attacked Paul Pelosi because people's individual liberties are under attack. In the chilling call, he apologized for not going further. The call came on the same day 
of uh, the video of the infamous hammer attack on Paul Pelosi was released. Here is that excerpt from the call. And then I want to talk about that rhetoric once again. Okay, so what's, what, what do you want to say? Because they released, as you know, they released the video earlier today. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. What, what did you want? Thank you for calling me. What did you want, what did you want to tell me? Um, now that you all have seen the body cam footage, I have an important message for everyone in America. You're welcome. Uh, Freedom of liberty isn't dying. It's being killed systematically and deliberately. The people killing it have names and addresses. So I got their names and addresses so I could pay them a little visit and have a heart-to-heart chat about their bad behavior. The tree of liberty needs watering. You need men of valor, patriots willing to put their own lives on the line to stand in opposition to tyranny. I would also like to apologize. I want to apologize to everyone. I messed up. What I did was really bad. I'm so sorry. I didn't get more of them. It's my own fault. No one else is to blame. I should have come better prepared. I spent all my time exposing government corruption online only to have them silence my freedom of speech as quickly as they could. It circumvented the Constitution and private industry. When the ruling class outsources their repression of your civil rights to private industry, it's called fascism. I have a lot more to say. I had a website of over 300 pages. That's 300 pages of stuff they don't want you to hear. I'm in the process of trying to set up a new site out of the reach of tyrannical global global fascists and their internet censors. Many of you know I grew up in a white Christian nationalist household. That was my faith tradition. I grew up in northern Idaho amidst separatist types, militia type people. At the very least, people who admired the militiamen. And there, these, this language was all over the place growing up. And that, 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 that line there that you might not be familiar with when him talking about... Um, the tree of liberty needs watering. There's a quote somewhere about the, 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 the tree of liberty needing watered by the blood of patriots. And he's referring there to he didn't go far enough. He didn't, he didn't uh, attack or, or kidnap, which was his plan, Nancy Pelosi. More, he, he, didn't, he should have done more people. He should have attacked more people. And for him, this is the watering of the tree of liberty, giving up his freedom to a larger cause. And this language that Republicans use, that conservative use, the Ted Cruz's, the Matt Gates's, the Paul Gosar's, the, the, the entire Freedom Caucus, they all talk like this. And they know what the result is, that it's going to whip up a certain percentage of the audience, of their fan base, in the cult, who are going to take matters into their own hands. They're not going to sit idly by while their country is being destroyed. They're going to do something about it. Of course, I say country being destroyed tongue-in-cheek because that is not at all what's happening. They have been convinced of election fraud on a wide, conspiracy-laden basis. And if your country is being taken from you, if it's being invaded at the southern border and nothing's being done, you take matters into your own hands. Or at least they do. This is all dangerous. But you're not going to see Republicans 
uh, change their messaging. You're not going to see them change their ways because it works for them. The, the, the results don't matter to them. The violence that is brought upon innocent people doesn't matter to them. The insurrections that have happened in the past and that may come to pass again don't matter to Republicans. They don't matter because power is what matters. As long as they stay in office, as long as they're able to try to implement and continue to implement um, a usurpation of our constitutional rights, the women's right to choose, marriage equality, a host of other civil liberty issues, they're going to keep at it. It is, it, is, it is time for America and well-intended, country-loving liberals to swarm the polls because the only way that this is going to change is through activism and organization to overwhelm them at the, at the polling station. That is, is what it's going to do. Because we are obviously not going to be using the same violence-inducing tactics that they do. Speaking of the fecklessness of Republicans and their inability to do the right thing in the face of uh, uh, wrongdoing, of lies, uh, George Santos, this, he's the gift that keeps on giving. It is crazy to me that more is not being said of Republic, by Republicans, uh, that, that there's not a movement afoot to at least rein this guy in. And now, because uh, of, of intrepid reporters doing investigative work, we're finding out that it is likely that there's, there is a, a there there. It is likely that he is going to find his day in court and maybe be removed. I, I think it's unlikely. I think that the investigation and any prosecution that would take place would, would take far longer than, it, than his term in office for this two years. But the the... Mother Jones just did uh, a piece about his, his donor base. And they looked at his, his, several of his donors in the 2020 election. S many of which, dozens maybe, they, they don't exist. They can't find these people. And I'm going to read kind of a summation here from the Daily Beast. But you really should go seek out this article from from Mother Jones, because it is detailed, and they go through who the names are, and what their addresses are, and they tried to reach out. Some of these addresses don't even exist. Some of the people they did reach out to, who did answer the phone, who do exist, said, we didn't give that money. And so the question is, because the money was given, just not by the people that the names were listed. So who gave the money? And why did they give the money to get this nut in office? People don't just give freely of their treasure to get George Santos elected without getting something in return. And these are all questions that are coming out. I mean, look, we all laughed. We all made our jokes about him lying about his mother 
dying on 9-11, about her dying on the 23rd of December, and that was her fifth year anniversary, about him having two knee replacements and being a volleyball star at a college he didn't go to, about his name being Anthony DeVolder, all of the insane lies that he told that were absolutely, most certainly going to be found out. But this goes to a different level of corruption and criminality, allegedly, likely, I believe, And getting to the bottom of this is important. Now, you can't rely upon Republicans to do that because Kevin McCarthy gave him committee assignments, gave him more credibility, more legitimacy. But I'm going to read this summation from the Daily Beast here. Uh, Some of George Santos' top donors apparently don't even exist, report says. More than a dozen major donations to George Santos' 2020 congressional campaign came from donors who appear to not exist, according to an investigation by Mother Jones. Santos' congressional campaign reported in 2020 that Victoria and Jonathan Reger had each maxed out by contributing $2,800 to his campaign. But no one in the United States has either name, according to the report. And the address listed also doesn't exist. More than $30,000 of the money raised for Santos's campaign came from people who don't appear to exist, although it's illegal to donate money to a campaign under a false name. One donor, who told Mother Jones he's a friend of Santos, said he didn't make the $2,800 donation Santos listed on his FEC filing. The questionable funding reveal comes as the FEC considers a criminal probe of Santos over his newly listed campaign treasurer, who has claimed he isn't actually the congressman's treasurer. Now, this is the 2020 campaign. When they start digging, my guess would be he didn't get any more clear or accurate in his campaign filings. We already know that he was filing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of campaign expenditures that were just under the limit before he had to provide a receipt. $199.99. There were dozens of them for Uber rides, one whole day of Uber rides uh, of $200, $199.99. The next day, another $199.99 in Uber rides, in flights, in trip insurance, in restaurants, in just a panoply of lies from George Santos. So this isn't just a case of a guy who lied about his background. There's real questions, real things to find out related to how he got his money, who gave it to him, and what they want for it. We'll certainly continue to follow this case as journalists do the good work of investigating wrongdoing by this particular clown. Once again, I am Jesse Dollimore, host of Dollimore Daily on YouTube. You can catch me on Twitter, at Dollimore, and uh, you can listen to my podcast, I Doubt It, on anywhere that podcasts are found. We're also on Twitter there, I Doubt It Podcast. Thanks for joining me.
email services by big tech companies scan every single email you send and receive emails from your doctor, your spouse. That's why you get those creepy ads a few minutes later. And other companies collect your data every time you open an email from them. It's a huge mess. All of this information gets sold around. They can piece together where you've been, who you know, what you like, and it's out there forever. That's why I recommend Startmail. Startmail never collects data from your emails. It blocks the trackers embedded in the emails that you receive. Startmail encrypts every email you send, protecting it from prying eyes, even the government. Startmail never shows you ads. And unlike other services, when you delete an email, it's gone forever. And I love this part. You can create unlimited email aliases so you don't have to give companies your real email address, which can really cut down on spam. You can seamlessly migrate your emails and contacts from Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo and others. It's really easy. Start taking your privacy seriously by signing up for Startmail. You'll get 50% off your first year subscription. Go to startmail.com slash Pacman. That's S T A R T M A I L dot com slash Pacman for 50% off. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P.com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Mosh. Whether you're at the gym, on the go, between meals, Mosh protein bars are the smart snack to keep your body and brain fueled. There's six delicious flavors like blueberry almond crunch, peanut butter, chocolate crunch, cookie dough crunch. Each Mosh bar comes packed with 12 grams of protein six grams of fiber, but also important nutrients like vitamin B, vitamin D, omega threes, and only one gram of sugar and 160 calories. I've tried tons of different protein bars. Really, you can't beat the taste and the texture of mosh. I love these. My favorite is the chocolate crunch. Simple, satisfying. Now that I'm back in the gym, I'll snack on one of these after a workout. Mosh is also a mission driven company with a portion of all proceeds donated to support women's brain health research through the women's Alzheimer's movement at Cleveland Clinic. Mosh is giving my audience 20 percent off plus free shipping on your first six count trial pack. Go to moshlife.com slash Pacman. 
That's M O S H L I F E dot com slash Pacman for 20% off and free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. My name is Jesse Dollamore, and I'm sitting in for David Pacman while he is out. Donald Trump's campaign kicked off in earnest, it seems, this weekend. He was in New Hampshire and South Carolina, and a lot of what you would expect from Donald Trump took place in both events. What it shows me really is that it's gonna be even crazier this year than in 2016 or in 2020, because his entire strategy has changed surrounding campaign events, so it appears. They're far more small and intimate. Some would say that it's just to, to mix things up, but I think the uh, any observer with any acumen or understanding of politics, or Donald Trump for that matter, is really going to understand it as a diminished support from people in the party. People are tired of the games and the tricks and the, uh, the over-the-top nonsense. But rather than change fundamentally how he acts and what he does, it's a tertiary change. It's just a, a surface level um, difference in how he's running things. Because all of the craziness, all of the loopiness, all of the lies, all of the insanity is still there. In his New Hampshire speech, he made this bold claim about how if he were president or if he becomes president, he will end this Ukraine thing in 24 hours. Watch this. This guy's gonna be in world, remember Crooked Hillary? He's going to cause a war in his first week in office because they think that's my personality type. It's actually the opposite. My personality kept us out of war. And I told you before, would have never happened with Russia, would have never gone in, Putin would have never, ever gone in. And even now, I could solve that in 24 hours. It's so horrible what happened. I mean, those cities are demolished now, the people. I'll bet you have millions. It could be millions of people. How can you, you know, they bomb a city to the ground. These big buildings come tumbling down. They say two people were injured. Not two people. They lie. I mean, they lie. But if I were president, you would have zero chance that that war would have happened. That is telling and quite interesting, considering the fact that just about a year ago, February 2022, Donald Trump was on the, the, the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. They all went down to Mar-a-Lago to have a good time on their podcast. And he said all kinds of glowing things about Vladimir Putin. He called him genius. He called him savvy. He called it wonderful. It insinuated he was a peacekeeper. Remember this, mo keep in mind what you just watched with him saying he would solve this problem in Ukraine, remembering a look back to one year ago with all of the things that he said about Ukraine and Vladimir Putin. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I've, I don't think our country has ever been so low. You could take the five worst presidents in the history of our country and put them together. I don't think they've done the damage that this administration has done. Mr. President, in the last 24 hours, we know Russia has said that they are recognizing two breakaway regions of Ukraine. And now this White House is stating that this is an invasion. That's a strong word. What went wrong here? What has the current occupant of the Oval Office done that he could have done differently? Well, what 
went wrong was a rigged election. And what went wrong is a candidate that shouldn't be there and a man that has no concept of what he's doing. I went in yesterday and there was a television screen and I said, this is genius. Putin declares a big portion of the Ukraine, of Ukraine. Putin declares it as independent. Oh, that's wonderful. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, how smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. That's the strongest peace force. We could use that on our southern border. That's the strongest peace force I've ever seen. There were more army tanks than I've ever seen. They're going to keep peace all right. No, but think of it. Here's a guy who's very savvy. I know him very well, very, very well. By the way, this never would have happened with us had I been in office, not even thinkable. This would never have happened. But here's a guy that says, you know, uh, I'm going to declare a big portion of Ukraine independent. He used the word independent. And we're going to go out and we're going to go in and we're going to help keep peace. You got to say that's pretty savvy. And you know what the response was from Biden? There was no response. He calls him a genius. It's wonderful what took place. How smart is that? Calls him a peacekeeper and the strongest peace force. Does that sound like a man who's going to run in as president of the United States and solve the Ukraine problem in 24 hours? This coming from the same guy who was going to have infrastructure week, week after week after week after week, and it never got done until Joe Biden took office. This coming from the guy who's going to build the wall. That everything was just about to happen. Never getting anything done other than massive unpaid for tax cuts that contributed to him adding 25% or taking responsibility for not taking responsibility for, but being responsible for 25% or so of our total overall national debt inside of four years. The other part, this little clip I want to share, is him talking about how he invented the word caravan, and he tells his rich friends who aren't citizens, who want to be citizens, that what they need to do is just cross the border and then they'll just magically be declared citizens, I guess, by the federal government. Watch this astounding misunderstanding or just lies being told by Donald Trump to give you a flavor for what's to come in this campaign cycle. And I came up with the name caravan because we had caravans of 15, 20,000 people pouring in. Uh, not when I, I'll tell you what, we had it stopped pretty early. But now if you look at these caravans, these are massive, massive caravans, and they have no idea who these people are coming into our country. And they're walking in unabetted. There is nothing that nobody's asking them about health. Or, it's hard to get in. I have so many people. Can you help me become a citizen? I say, yeah, go to the southern border, just walk across the line. You know, I have a guy, rich guy, wants to become a citizen. And he, he's gone through everything. He's gone to school to study and this and this and that. He's been working for 11 years. He hasn't been able to pull it off, okay? And I finally said to him, you know, you've been working so hard. Why don't you just go down to Mexico and sort of start walking across our border? They'll take you gladly. They won't even talk to you. Now, how ridiculous it is. 
like lots that Donald Trump does and says, it starts off as kind of a joke and then his free association leads him to tell a story that is almost certainly untrue, uh, but with a serious tone and tenor to it. He's not telling, telling it like it's a joke. He, he, he got serious there for a moment. He's telling people that he believes the way to do it as though we're just issuing citizenship to anyone who crosses the southern border. The issue of immigration in this country is, is such a, a, a murky topic because of the lies that are told by the right because of the lies and the, the abject, just white nationalism that has infected a massive swath of our country. They talk about it like it's an invasion. They talk about it like there's an impending war that's gonna take place. It gets the psychos in the Republican party whipped up into a frenzy and all that does is exacerbate the problem because they're not there to solve it. There's no evidence whatsoever that Kevin McCarthy or anyone in leadership in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives wants to solve the problem. They want it to continue to be a political football. They want it to continue to, to uh, make hay for them, be a, be a campaign slogan. It's a prop to them. They're not there to solve problems. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. South Carolina, Donald Trump, after leaving New Hampshire, moved on to South Carolina to another minuscule campaign event inside the South Carolina state capitol. It, it is, it's telling. We're gonna have to witness what takes place in the coming months with his, what he chooses to do with his rallies because for all of, the, of the, the, the mocking he did of Joe Biden not being able to fill arenas or whatever, all the mocking that he's done of Hillary Clinton, he's now taking that. It, it's, it's, a lot, a lot, <laughs> it's along the same lines as when he was making fun of every politician for reading from a teleprompter and then sh shifted and did the exact same thing. It's okay for him to read from a teleprompter, but it's absolutely mockable if someone else does it. So he went to South Carolina. At first, actually, let me give you a flavor for just how small these events are compared to 2016 when he was filling these, these rally event um, uh, venues just with thousands of people. This is what he's dealing with now. To change the whole system, you need a president who can take on the whole system. And president that can win. And we did great last time. We got 12 million more votes than we did the time before. Somebody interviewed me recently. What was the difference between 2020 and 2016? I said the difference is we did much better in 2020. We did. We got many millions of more votes. But we got to be careful on election day. And while I was <laughs> just wanting to show you a flavor for the campaign event, did you hear what he was saying there? That you need a president who can take on the whole system. You need a president who can win. <laughs> Says the loser who never got, who never won the popular vote one single time. In fact, this last time when he lost the election, even the electoral college, seven million plus votes he lost by. But he's the president who can win. It's utter delusion from Donald Trump.
And speaking of utter delusion, Lindsey Graham. It wouldn't be a South Carolina campaign event without Lindsey Graham there just hovering, just lapdogging it, just bootlicking Donald Trump, uh, just without shame. It, it, with every time there's Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham on stage, it is sure to be a dignity-free performance. Watch this from Lindsey Graham. Well, he did it once, he can do it again. And now while we're here... So, Mr. President, I started my political career right there, and I got my first paycheck, and I said, I got to get out of here. To the State House people, you're not doing it for the money. There's one thing I want to talk to you about. How many, how many times have you heard, we like Trump uh, policies, but we want somebody new? There are no Trump policies without Donald Trump. I was there. No Trump policies without Donald Trump, says Lindsey Graham. Uh, there's a lot of candidates, actually, who are in the race and coming out of the woodwork to maybe run for president. We've got Mike Pompeo kind of circling around, writing his book, getting his name out there. Mike Pence is reportedly uh, exploring a run. We've got Ron DeSantis, who's being clamored about in Republican circles, and Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. And on the plane ride to one of these events, Donald Trump was asked about Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis entering the ring, about Nikki Haley entering the ring. And in his warped brain, he believes that because he got Ron DeSantis elected, it's disloyal of Ron DeSantis to then run against Donald Trump. And something similar he said about Nikki Haley. Watch this. Wants to do. Take a listen to what he said. So Ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me. Well, then when I hear he might run, you know, I consider that very disloyal. I talked to her for a little while. But I said, look, you know, go by your heart if you want to run. She's publicly said that I would never run against my president. He was a great president. That's not how it works. Donald Trump, first of all, you didn't get DeSantis elected. He certainly sucked up. Campaign ads with his baby and with a Make America Great Against Trump campaign sign. It's all very incestuous within the Republican Party. And speaking of that, <laughs> that was an unintended, an unintended segue. The Republican Party is also in a bad boat. Mike Lindell, Carrie Lake, did this very off-the-wall interview with Steve Bannon. They were at the, the Republican winter meeting where they re-elected Ronna Romney McDaniel to be chairperson of the Republican National Committee. The National Committee, she's once again the chair of. And this came to great consternation for the, the MyPillow goof who wanted, he, he was in the running along with a, a lawyer out of San Francisco named, named Harmeet Dillon. And uh, they both lost to, to Ronna Romney McDaniel. She, she lost the Romney because Donald Trump didn't like it, but I, you know, I'm just that petty. I'm going to continue to call her Ronna Romney McDaniel. But this, this clip that I'm going to play for you of the, the Bannon interviewing both Carrie Lake and Mike Lindell sitting side by side is just bizarre. And it's not bizarre for the fact that the background is actually more blurry than Carrie Lake's face usually is. It's bizarre because they're doing the thing that I've been talking about 
uh, very recently, but also for months, that the rhetoric surrounding not having a country anymore, the rhetoric surrounding our republic being just uh, a failed state, the rhetoric surrounding us losing our sovereignty is being whipped up into a frenzy by these particular fringe clowns. Watch this. Ron McDaniel has not, you've been there for three days. Ron McDaniel has not pulled you aside and say, let's have a cup of coffee and spend five minutes together. Have you guys spent any time with each other one-on-one? No, we haven't, unfortunately. And and you know what? I do want to reach out to her because here's what's going on. And I I know that this might not be the popular view. Ronna won. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. You you shouldn't have to reach, you shouldn't have to reach out to Ronna McDaniel. You're the Frickin' governor of Arizona, you just won an incredibly tough race because you stood for policies that MAGA stands for. She should be blowing your phone up every day. Can I get five minutes? This is outrageous. But but here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to meet with her and say, let's move forward because this next election, if we do not get President Donald Trump back in the White House, I don't know how much longer we can last. I think our republic is in peril. I will do everything in my power. If that means I campaign across the country, whatever it means, I want to get President Trump I, in because I want my yeah. children to have a but, future. But, 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 but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. If we don't get you in Arizona, if we don't get you in Arizona now, I'm not going to sure we have sovereignty. All of that is alarming because one, they're just leaning into the conspiracy theory that Carrie Lake won the election. You shouldn't have to wait for Ron and Ron McDaniel to call you. You're the governor of of Arizona. It's news to the rest of the country. Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon, who has has his hands in the attempted coup in Brazil. Steve Bannon, who had his hand deeply in to the insurrection at the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021. The attempted overthrow of the United States government, partly, many believe, orchestrated, planned, and executed by Steve Bannon and his colleagues. And here he is, again, trying to whip up the base by using language like this. And she doesn't jettison it. She doesn't uh, swat it away. She embraces it. This next election, if we don't get Donald Trump back in the White House, I don't know how much longer we can last. I think our republic is in peril, she says. That, that is strong language that whips clowns like David DePap, the guy who was talking about the, the, the tree of liberty needing watered by the blood of patriots is what would follow. It's those types of people who have violent tendencies, who have a proclivity to, to radicalism, They're going to be animated by language like this. And he shuts her down on the Trump thing. He says, no, no, no. If we don't get you in Arizona now, I'm not sure we're going to have sovereignty. All of this is problematic. And all of this should, should animate you to want to make a difference in this upcoming election. Look, I know it seems like, oh, we just got through the midterms. 2024 is too far away to really worry about that. It is not. You need to talk to your friends, to your neighbors, to your family, to your coworkers. Hell, to the dude you you sit next to at the bus stop and talk to them 
about this type of thing. Because if we can animate one person each, and they can animate one person, we can overwhelm Republicans at the polls to ensure that we don't lose our sovereignty, that we don't lose our republic, that it absolutely is in peril, but not for the reasons that Carrie Lake says. Once again, I am Jesse Dollamore. Thank you for joining me. You can uh, follow me on Twitter. I am at Dollamore. I'm there and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. I'm on uh, YouTube, Dollamore Daily, or just search my stupid name. You'll find me there. I'd love to have you subscribe and uh, be a regular watcher of my mouth that flaps and my face that gets red when I get angry. <laughs> anyway, I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Let's talk about plastic. 100 billion plastic bags are used and thrown away each year. Huge contributor to plastic waste. You might think there's no way around it. Think again. Our sponsor, Hold On Bags, makes trash bags and zip seal kitchen bags that are heavy duty, plant based and non-toxic. So they break down in weeks rather than decades and they don't fill up our landfills or pollute our oceans. Hold on zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon sizes for all of your needs. And because they are plant based, hold on trash bags and their zip seal kitchen bags are 100 percent home compostable. So what I do is I put my food garbage in a hold on bag, throw the whole thing into the compost pile. It's fantastic. But even for everyday garbage I'm putting in the dumpster, there is something really simple and easy I can do to make a difference just to save plastic, to shop plant based bags and replace single use plastics all over your home. Go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman for 20 percent off. That's H-O-L-D-O-N bags dot com slash Pacman code Pacman for 20 percent off. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Fume. Fume is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us, including ones that harm our health. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to trade out your negative habit for a positive one. Fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape. Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. Fume's new version 2 model is snappy and tactile with an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap that's fun to fidget with. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy or even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who have successfully switched when other solutions didn't work. Head to tryfume.com and use the code PACMAN to get 10% off today when you get the Journey Pack, which comes with three unique flavors and the new version to Fume. That's T-R-Y-F-U-M.com. Code PACMAN saves you 10% on the Journey Pack. The info is in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. I am David Pakman. If he was a giant oaf who got stung by a thousand bees in the neck and then swelled up and became this monstrosity before you. <laughs> Speaking of monstrosities, there's another unplanned segue. I'm becoming very good at those. Mike, uh, Kevin McCarthy, not Mike McCarthy. That's a 
That's a different person who coaches football. Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House of Representatives of these United States. There's a lot of words that come to mind when you think about Kevin McCarthy. Integrity is not one that comes to mind. Intelligent is not one that comes to mind necessarily. Um, but uh, sycophantic is and a tool, a useful idiot for radicals in Congress certainly comes to mind. He was on with Margaret um, Brennan yesterday on Face the Nation and gave a, a disastrous performance, just a disastrous interview with Margaret Brennan. And he was asked many, many questions, some of which he he faked like he answered. He, he has this new thing that he does when, when he's answering a question with, with an answer that isn't an answer to the actual question. He says, well, I'm an, let me answer your question the way I say I'm going to answer the question. He, he's, he, that's his new tack, is to become like aggressive guy. And he's asked two things. We're going to play two clips here. One is about George Santos and about whether or not he should be expelled from the body. Because you need two-thirds of the House of Representatives to vote to expel him as a member. They're not going to do that because they've got a Democrat governor in New York. A number of different reasons that are at play here. But the other thing he's asked about is about Marjorie Taylor Greene being placed on the COVID origins committee to investigate that. The same woman who believes wearing a mask is like the treatment of the Jews during the Holocaust. The same woman who calls into question every uh, sudden death as vaccine linked. A woman who believes 9-11 was a hoax. A woman who believes Jews have lasers in space aimed at California to fire a laser and start a forest fire. This is a woman who has been elevated to the House Oversight Committee and others of importance. She went from having no committees at all to some of the most uh, elevated and sought after committee assignments in the entire house. And you, you, you would ask yourself, how is that when she spoke nothing but poison into the ear of Kevin McCarthy and about Kevin McCarthy? And all of a sudden, they're, they're thick as thieves, they're pals, they're taking selfies together on the floor of the house it's a valid question that should be asked. And it was asked by Margaret Brennan, and this is what took place. These, these are members who just got elected by their constituents, and we put them into committees, and I'm proud to do it. Let me ask you about uh, some specifics then. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you put her on a new subcommittee to investigate the origins of COVID. Yes. She compared mask requirements to the type of abuse Jews were subjected to during the Holocaust. She called for Fauci to be arrested and imprisoned, and she spread conspiracy theories. How's anyone supposed to take that work seriously and find that work credible? Very well. You look at all of it, so you have all the questions out there. I think what the American You think these are legitimate questions? I think what the American public wants to see is an open dialogue in the process. This is a select committee where people can have all the questions they want, and you'll see the outcome. Um, Those are nonsense answers from Kevin McCarthy. That we need to have, all the questions need to be asked. No, they don't. Not all questions are on the same level, Kevin McCarthy. Not all questions are valid of the work of a, of a, of a special select committee in the House of Representatives.
Open dialogue. We're just asking questions. This is, this is the work of conspiracy theory. This is how they act. This is what they say. Well, we're just asking questions. What's wrong with asking questions? And when you put someone like this as pernicious and sinister and indeed stupid as Marjorie Taylor Greene on this committee, it diminishes the work that they will do. But again, it doesn't matter to Republicans, but they're not in it for credible findings. They're in it for the theater of it. They're in it for the show of it. Now, I was going to play this other clip first, but I chose to do it second. And that is his absolute refusal to answer the question about getting rid of George Santos or what they're going to do at all. Instead, he starts talking about proxy voting and the house being broken. And when she forces him or tries, attempts to make a force to him to answer the question, he's not having it. He's doing that thing that I talked about earlier. Watch this. But doesn't it further wear down credibility when you put someone who's under state, local, federal, and international investigation as a representative of Are your you party on committees, I'm talking about George no, Santos, I, uh, representative from well, New York. We should have that discussion. So let's have that discussion. You want to bring up Santos and let's talk about the institution itself, because I agree wholeheartedly that Congress is broken. And I think, I think your listeners or viewers should understand what proxy voting was, because it never took place in Congress before. But I'm asking you about George Santos. I know you asked me a question. Let me ask because you. Because you could put it to a vote. You asked me a question. Me. I'd appreciate if you let me answer. So let's go through this, because it's not one simple answer. Congress is broken based upon what has transpired in the last Congress. The American public wasn't able to come in to see us. People voted by proxy, meaning you didn't have to show up for work. Mm -hmm. Bills didn't go have to go through committee. So what I'm trying to do is open the people's house back for the people so their voice is there, so people are held accountable. So now, as I just had in the last week, for the first time yeah. in seven years, every member got to vote. If now, you got a third of your caucus to vote to I oust could, him, you could do so. Do you, do you don't think you could get your Republicans to do that? I wasn't finished answering the question. So... If every single new person brought into Congress was elected by their constituents, what their constituents have done has lend their voice to the American public. So those members can all serve on committee. Now, what I'm trying to do is change some of these committees as well. Like the Intel Committee is different than so any other committee. So you're just not going to answer the question I asked. Well, no, I, no, you don't get to question whether I answer it. You asked a question. I'm trying to get you through that. I don't you think you've that. said the name George Santos like once. <laughs> well, no, you but you know what? I you're just, talking about proxy but, but, voting no, no, no. and other things. But you, no, you started the question with Congress was broken, and I agreed with no, you. But Congress. I was answering the question mm -hmm. of how Congress is broken and how we're changing it. So if I can okay. finish the question that you asked me, how Congress is broken, I equated every yep. single member that just got elected by their by their mm -hmm. constituents, they have a right to serve. So that okay. means that Santos can serve on a committee the same okay. way Swalwell, who had a relationship with a Chinese spy. But Speaker. they will not serve on intel. They're wrapping because me I in think the control room because we're Well, that's unfortunate. I wish I could I answer the question. There. I would love to have you back. I would love to be able to come okay. back and have time to answer the question. Not smart. Listen, <laughs> there are skilled politicians who are very adept at doing the thing that Kevin McCarthy wishes he could do which is you're asked a question and you answer an entirely different question and then it just moves on. He's not good at it. Instead, he gets called out blatantly, overt, like, well, you're just not gonna answer the question then. And he doesn't, he filibusters for, for, for just about two minutes in that space. 
refusing to answer the easiest of questions. And you know what? It's going to catch him because George Santos and all the investigations that are taking place relative to financial impropriety, to campaign finance impropriety, it's going to come back and his innocent until proven guilty thing isn't going to play anymore when George Santos eventually, possibly, gets convicted of these crimes. And they are crimes, some of the things that he's being accused of now. It's not just he lied about his mom dying on 9-11, as despicable as that is. It's not just lying about being a volleyball star with replaced knees. There are serious issues that Kevin McCarthy isn't qualified, isn't capable, and has no desire to try to get to the bottom of. Uh, The other thing in the news related to impropriety and not getting things done is the Supreme Court. Famously, this summer, there was a a draft opinion leaked that uh, told the world that the, the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And in subsequent months, there's been an investigation, and I use heavy, heavy air quotes there, an investigation to get to the bottom of what took place. And then just a few days ago, it came out that the, we can't find the leaker, we don't know, investigation over, even though they didn't interview any of the actual justices. Everybody else involved had to sign sworn affidavits under the penalty of perjury that they were telling the truth, they had nothing to do with it. But the justices didn't, nor did the justices' family, because there is no code of ethics. There's no code of conduct for the Supreme Court. People who make decisions that impact the lives of 360 million Americans aren't held to the same standards that you are at your job. I'm gonna read a little bit from the CNN article entitled Exclusive. Supreme Court did not disclose financial relationship with expert brought in to review leak probe. The Supreme Court did not disclose its long-standing financial ties with former Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff, even as it touted him as an expert who independently validated its investigation into who leaked the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. The court's inquiry, released last week with Chertoff's endorsement, failed to identify who was responsible for the unprecedented leak. The decision to keep the relationship with Chertoff quiet is a reflection of a pattern of opacity at the nation's highest court whose rulings affect every American. Now, this relationship is worth a million or so dollars to Michael Chertoff. They pay him, the court pays him, has paid his firm about a million dollars. So the reason that this stinks is the fact that he has an incentive, he has a motive to do the bidding of the Supreme Court and sign off on this BS investigation. Because if he goes the other way, if he goes against the court, that money very well could dry up. I believe the days of holding in high esteem the Supreme Court of the United States are over. It is an absolute activist MAGA court. You've got your your Neil Gorsuch, your Sam Alito, your Clarence Thomas, your Brett Kavanaugh, John Roberts, 
used to be one of the worst, and now he looks like a good guy in comparison. It is terrible. And they're shameless about it. They have no, I mean, the mask is off. They don't care if you know. I'm going to continue reading here. CNN has learned from sources familiar with the arrangements that the court in recent years has privately contracted with the Chertoff, the Chertoff Group, excuse me, for security assessments, some broadly covering justice's safety and some specifically related to COVID-19 protocols at the court itself. The estimated payments to his risk assessment firm for consultations that extended over several months and involved a review of the justice's homes reached at least a million dollars. And here we go again, no transparency or opacity, as CNN said it. The exact amount of money paid could not be determined. Supreme Court contracts are not covered by federal public disclosure rules and elude tracking on public databases. They don't have to follow the same rules that even Congress does. And Congress doesn't have to follow the same rules that the rest of the country does. The justices have long cloaked themselves in secrecy to the point of declining to respond to questions about potential conflicts of interest or to reveal information about some court rules and ethics codes or to release timely information about the justices' health and public appearances. This is all gross. If they want to to maintain some air of credibility, we need a code of ethics for the Supreme Court. And how we get that is Congress. In the Constitution, Congress is given the power to organize the courts. They could do this. They could have done it last Congress. They could have done it the Congress before. They could have done it the Congress before. But they sit on their hands because it is not in their best interest to wreck, to, 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 to rock the boat. It's, it's all a bit much. Again, I would love to see you. Subscribe to me on YouTube, Jesse Dollimore. Follow me on social media. I'm at Dollimore on on, uh, Instagram, on Twitter, and TikTok. I'd love to see you there. One of our sponsors is Helix Sleep. I have been sleeping on a Helix mattress at home for years now. I couldn't be more happy with it. I recommend it to everybody. The other day, even though she's not allowed in the big bed, I put my baby daughter on the mattress, and even she loved it. Helix Sleep is the premium mattress brand offering tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz. It asks you about your body type, your sleeping position. Do you get hot at night? Do you have back pain? And then Helix will match you with the mattress that's perfect for you. Most people don't know where to begin when shopping for a mattress, including me. Helix makes it simple and less risky because you know you're getting a mattress that fits your needs. It ships free. You can try it for 100 nights to see if you like it, and it comes with a 10 or 15 year warranty. Unlike many mattress companies, all Helix mattresses are made in the USA by a skilled production team. So you are supporting good jobs. Helix Sleep is giving my audience $350 off plus two free pillows. This is the place to get pillows. You know what I mean. Go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman and use code HELIXPARTNER. The link is down below. Welcome back to the David Pacman Show. I am Jesse Dollimore, host of the Dollimore Daily on the YouTubes. Listen, Fox News, if they're good at anything, it is running interference for Republicans. It's running interference 
maybe chiefly for Donald Trump. And they will continue their lies about Republican policy for as long as they can. And this doesn't just come from the the, the, the infotainment side, the entertainment side of Fox News, your Tucker Carlson's, your, your Laura Ingram's, your Sean Hannity's. It, all co- it also comes from the, the news side. Harris Faulkner is who I'm going to talk about today. Uh, right now, there's a budget battle. There's the, the debt ceiling fight that we're in, the, the threat to shut down the government. And there's a lot of talk about where this debt came from and who's responsible for this debt. And Republicans would have you believe that they are all all about being good stewards of the people's money, being being responsible spenders and making sure that everything's paid for, all while supporting Donald Trump and getting in bed with Donald Trump and his insane tax cuts for the rich that took place in 2017 or so that led to one to one and a half trillion dollar deficits every year of his presidency. And that was before COVID. That was before all of the supplemental spending that took place around that. So when they talk about the deficit, I wanna say this up front before you hear her propaganda and her lies. When they talk about, oh, the Democrats just wanna spend, spend, spend. But they don't tell you that Donald Trump himself in one term, is responsible for roughly 25% of the entire national debt of the United States. A man who in like 2015 or 2016, prior to being elected to office, gave an interview with Bob Woodward at the Washington Post and made the bold claim that he was going to pay off the entire national debt inside of eight years. And instead, he's now responsible for 25% of the overall debt. But you wouldn't know that if you only watched Fox News. If your parents are people who watch Fox News, if your grandparents are people who watch Fox News, they'll buy this hook, line, and sinker the same way Americans bought the trickle-down economics works. Reaganomics, oh, it's a godsend. That's That's how you build back a strong economy. It's all lies, and it gets told over and over and over and over again to the point where people start believing it in the face of insurmountable evidence that it is false, and history, for that matter. Watch Harris Faulkner selling a just vile, sinister lie here. At issue, the money is coming out of the programs faster than it's going in. The Congressional Budget Office reports Social Security is headed for bankruptcy. Without legislative action to save it, it looks like it will run dry within the next 10 years. That would automatically cut benefits by 23% for every single American who needs those programs. Medicare funding is vanishing even faster. The timing of all of this, of trying to figure out what to do, comes during a fierce battle, as you know, it's happening in our nation's capital over spending, the debt growing precipitously, the standoff between Republican lawmakers and the White House over raising the borrowing limit. Democrats want to do what they do. Spend, spend, spend. Republicans want to slash and save. Democrats want to do what they do. Spend, spend, spend. And Republicans want to slash and save. You think, Harris Faulkner? Do you think 
That's what's happening here. Republicans want to, they want to slash and save while we have a nearly $1 trillion military budget every single year. Listen, I spent many years in the United States Marine Corps. Proud, I'm proud of my service. But we don't need a trillion dollar annual defense budget because what's, what are we defending? There is no, there, there's not a massive war taking place. We don't need to fund a conflict. A thousand billion dollars every single year, year in and year out. But Republicans are responsible with the money. They want to reorganize Social Security. They want to raise the retirement age. It is all gross and sinister because people fall for it. Most importantly, it's bad because of that. Because they have a captive audience with their, their, their aging out audience of boomers who believe this crap. Shame on you, Harris Faulkner. Shame on you. The other thing that there is shame to be talked about is on federal prosecutors. I have been talking on my own channel for years now about consequence for Donald Trump. In the wake of the attempted overthrow of the United States government, the insurrection, the failed coup attempt by way of overturning a free and fair election. They could prosecute that. They could have prosecuted obstruction of justice. The multiple cases of obstruction of justice outlined in the Mueller report, they didn't. And in this case, they could have prosecuted the hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels. But instead, prosecutors, and I'm going to read a little bit from this, instead, prosecutors thought, oh, well, this, this will seem small in comparison to all of the insane treason and other crimes of Donald Trump. We're just not going to bring this. And this is a problem. Justice should be met. Justice should be served, no matter if you think it's a small matter and something, something else will come along. Can't pass the buck to someone else when you have a prosecutable crime before you. Reading from the CNN article, federal prosecutors discussed charging Trump in Stormy Daniels' case when he left office, book says. Days before then-President Donald Trump left the White House, federal prosecutors in New York discussed whether to potentially charge Trump with campaign finance crimes once he was out of office, according to a new book from senior uh, CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig. Prosecutors from the Southern District of New York developed significant evidence against Trump when they charged his former attorney, Michael Cohen, in 2018 over a hush money scheme, paying two women claiming affairs with Trump, including adult film star Stormy Daniels, Honig writes. But prosecutors did not consider charging Trump at the time because of longstanding Justice Department guidance that a sitting president cannot be indicted. I hope you caught that. I hope you caught that one line in there that they developed significant evidence against Trump when they charged his former attorney and then eventually had a conviction for Michael Cohen. They had evidence, and they chose not to prosecute. 
This is, this is a failure of the United States Justice Department. This is a failure of justice in general. It should be dispassionate. He committed a crime, you convict, you investigate, you prosecute, and you secure a conviction. I understand that the Office of Legal Counsel within the Department of Justice has a long-standing memo. This isn't law. This is an opinion within a division of the Department of Justice that says you can't charge a sitting president. That is nonsense. And many experts agree. Continuing with the article here, with Trump about to leave office in January 2021, however, uh, Audrey Strauss, the acting U.S. attorney, held multiple discussions with a small group of prosecutors to discuss its evidence against Trump. They decided to not seek an indictment of Trump for several reasons, Honig writes, including the political ramifications and the fact that Trump's other scandals, such as efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and the January 6, 2021 insurrection, made the campaign finance violation seem somehow trivial and outdated by comparison. What? The crime was committed, was it not? You secured a conviction with someone involved with the crime. Why would you let Donald Trump off the hook? It, is it laziness? What is it? it? It's malpractice as far as I'm concerned. Continuing here, quote, we were well aware of the prudential reasons why you wouldn't charge a president even after he was out of office. While federal prosecutors in New York opted not to pursue their case against Donald Trump, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg appears to be looking into the matter again. Cohen met this month with prosecutors from his office, the first such meeting in more than a year, and the clearest sign to date that the Manhattan District Attorney is zeroing in on the Trump Organization's involvement in the Hust money payments. So look, look, I have said this going back in the days after the insurrection, that we are going to have to rely upon journalists and people writing books for uh, the investigatory work to be done because federal prosecutors, they're not up to it, in my estimation. Merrick Garland has sat on his hands under the guise of, well, we want to be thorough and slow-paced in, in, our, in, in our investigation, that we want to do this the right way and sober-minded. We don't need to drag our feet until Joe Biden isn't president anymore, and then the entire thing is scuttled. And here we have further evidence that they just decided not to prosecute because, oh, there's bigger things. Republicans right now want to talk about a two-tiered justice system in the United States. Uh, Joe Biden's not being treated the same way as Donald Trump about the documents. None of that is true, but that's not what two-tiered is. They're both presidents. That's one tier. It's that if I committed the same crimes as Donald Trump, I'd be sitting my ass in a prison right now. But because he's rich, because he's an ex-president, because he has powerful connections, he gets a pass. And federal prosecutors gave him that pass. It's all too much. I'd love to know what you think. Let's mix it up in the comments and uh, follow me. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jesse Dollimore, or follow me on um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, 
at Dollamore. I'd love to see you there. Thanks a lot for joining me today.